Man, good morning. morning. So excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited just to open up this word with you. We're going to be in Acts 2, so if you have your Bible, you can kind of head that way. And um, anyway, in just a moment, we're going to start that. Um, Man, uh, I'm going to pray again. I like to do that. If you don't know that, you probably haven't been here before. I like to pray a lot. Um, But it's because I know today, like, I I don't got anything for us. Um, God is the only one, right, that can say anything that's going to make a difference, and and we need him. So, uh, Father God, this morning, we need you. God, we need you just to move in this place and move on our hearts. God, we we cannot do a thing without you. God, the, the best rehearsed message on the planet can't move one soul towards heaven. The most knowledge uh, accumulated by any human on the planet could not move one soul toward heaven. So God, I'm not praying today that you just help me have all the right words, even all the wrong words in the power of the Holy Spirit changes lives. Um, But God, this morning, I'm, I'm just praying that you just do the things that only you can do, God, that you pour out your spirit on this place, God, that you, um, in in who you are, summon people to yourself, Um, God, that you uh, would open eyes and unstop ears and soften hearts this morning because um, there's like no amount of studying that can do any of that. So God, this morning, um, we know anything good is from you. And uh, God, we're just praying that you'll do something good in these moments. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Man, um, so excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited to open this word with you. The past few weeks we've been uh, in a new series. I guess it's maybe an old series now called But Go. And uh, it's been a series where we've just been talking about taking the gospel um, outside of the walls of the church. And, and I think maybe for all of us, if you've been to church before, you realize that that's not like a revolutionary idea, right? Like we're supposed to take the gospel from this place to that place. Amen, Brad. Thank you. Um, that's, that's not hard theological things. That's not, we didn't know that. That's not, we're unaware of that. Um, because if you've been around church very long, you've, you've heard probably every message of preached the past few weeks in some capacity, right? Like we, we've heard stories about how Jesus has said, hey, go make disciples. And if that is like a newsflash to anybody today, um, we failed you somewhere along the line in the church. Um, because the last thing Jesus says to his disciples is those words that we need to hear. Go make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them everything that I've commanded you. But as we've been talking about the past few weeks, I don't don't really think the issue today is that we don't know the command. The issue is that we're not doing the command. Right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if it was that easy? Hey, go make disciples. Okay. And just everybody just leaves and that's what they do. Man, my job would be amazing. Right? If I would do what I would say from the stage, my job would be amazing, right? Like any of us. We're not waiting for everybody. We're waiting on anybody. And in the, the past few weeks, that's kind of what we've been talking about. And the idea got kicked off um, actually on Easter. And I didn't know we were going here. It was just something that, that God was speaking. But the, the ladies come to the tomb. We all know the story, right? They come to the tomb and uh, they're expecting to come to the funeral of Jesus and they're coming with like sadness and brokenheartedness and they're coming with fear um, because they don't know what's going to happen now. For, for a while, we've been following Jesus and we've seen Jesus do amazing things and now Jesus is dead. That's kind of a scary thing if you left everything to follow Jesus, by the way. Jesus is dead. Out of the picture, they watched him be brutally beaten and then murdered on a cross. And Jesus is now in a tomb in their brains and and they're going to bury their friend Jesus. So they get up early in the morning and they go to the tomb and they get to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. And they're not immediately, like you can read any of the Gospels and see this, they're not immediately like, oh my gosh, he's resurrected. That's the most amazing thing in the world. Let's go tell everybody. They're thinking, where's the body of Jesus? 
Now, what's crazy about that is Jesus is taught over and over and over and over again, um, I'm going to die, and they're going to put me in a hole, and I'm coming out of the hole, right? But there's a disconnect somewhere between what Jesus says and what we expect or we believe or we do. That's what we talked about at the beginning, right? Like, we know what Jesus says, but there's a disconnect in what we do. It's not a new thing. It's actually a old thing. You read any of the Bible. <laughs> you know, like you get to chapter 3, and we're already disconnecting what God says from what we do. So they come to the tomb, and they're expecting to find the body of Jesus, and the stones rolled away, and they start down the steps, and there's a guy sitting there, which is weird because he's not Jesus. And this guy looks at them, and he, he says, hey, um, Jesus isn't here. We are aware. But then he says this crazy thing. He's not here because um, this is where dead people are. And Jesus isn't dead. He's been resurrected. And then he invites these ladies down into the empty tomb. And he says, come and see the place where he used to be. Come and look inside the empty tomb. Come, come take a look at what God has done is what the angel is saying. Come, come see that God is a miracle worker. Because until we believe what God says, we're never going to do anything about it. All right? So come in this tomb. Come look around. Come lay down on the uh, resurrection space if you want to. Try to lift it up. There's no smoke and mirrors here. Jesus isn't here. He's alive. And, and we don't know how long they stayed in this tomb. It could have been seconds. could have been minutes. could have been maybe an hour. They were, they were here for a little while. And when they were convinced, the angel says, okay, um, Leave. But go, and when they leave, he sends them out on a mission. Tell the disciples. But get up out of here and tell the disciples the miracles of what God has done in these moments. And we see that the resurrection space is actually the sending place of the church. That the, the story of the miracles of God start at, at that very miracle of God. At the cross, we get forgiveness and grace, and that's amazing. And I love the cross, and I come back to the cross every day because, like I said a few minutes ago, I'm a sinner. And I need to be reminded that I have a Savior. But the cross isn't the end of the gospel story. It's, just a, it's a transition place that takes us to a tomb that is today empty. And the tomb is the sending place of the church. He says, go tell the story about what God has done. I love that. The angel doesn't say, hey, can you go quote Hezekiah chapter 4, verse 2 um, to the disciples? Can you go explain the finer points of the Trinity to the disciples? He just says, go tell stories about what's taking place in the empty tomb. We try to make it so complicated, and it's really not a complicated thing. We're not trying to theology anybody to heaven. People that don't believe don't care about theology. We're just telling stories about the miracles of what God has done. And the miracle starts in an empty tomb. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Look at what God's done in my empty tomb. They leave that place, and they go tell the disciples, and there's fear and confusion, and some of the disciples go to the tomb, and in fact, Jesus is still not in the tomb. And then later that afternoon, we read a few weeks ago, Jesus shows up in a, in a locked room where the disciples, just hours after Jesus had been resurrected, are already huddled back together in fear. Heard the resurrection story, know the miracles of God, still very afraid, still very quiet, huddled in a room, locked doors, and Jesus doesn't need us to unlock doors and tear down barriers. He walks through the wall, and he shows up in the middle of the room, and he says, peace to you. He stopped freaking out. And as we talked about, he showed him the scars that he still bears from the cross. And he, and he says to the disciples, peace to you. In other words, you don't have anything to be afraid of. The world's done everything possible to me. And here I am standing today in the room, miracle of God. They can't crush me and kill me. What do you think they're going to do to you? Look at this. Fast forward, uh, Jesus shows up on a mountain that, by the way, he told them that he was going to be at. And he says again to these disciples, hey, go make disciples. Go make disciples. 
Before he says that, he connects it with the character of God, and he says, I have all the authority in heaven and on earth. Now, if your best friend shows up and he's like, hey, man, I, I want you to know I, I have all the money, like all the money in the world, that works out great for you because they're your friends, right? If they're a good friend, they're going to share. If your friend shows up and they're like, hey, I just want you to know, like, um, I rented out the bowling alley today, right? They have all the authority there, <laughs> and it works out well for you. In a greater way, Jesus shows up to these guys, and he's like, I have all the authority in heaven and on earth, and I just want you to know I'm completely in charge. That, that's comforting to them because he has all the authority in heaven and on earth, and he's my friend, and that works out well for me. Because he wants good for me. And then he wraps that in, go make disciples. I'll be with you forever. And we think, like, that's the moment, right? That's the moment. Okay, man, Jesus showed up. I got all the authority in heaven and on earth. I'll be with you forever. This moment, they leave that mountain. They go in the world for the sake of the gospel, and nobody's ever lost again. Like, we think that's the story when we hear that. But if you just fast forward again in a few days, we end up in the book of Acts. And we see that in the book of Acts, Jesus actually about 40 days after the resurrection, ascends into heaven. I've been walking around with the disciples for 40 days, which is awesome. Resurrected Jesus. Getting to know resurrected Jesus for 40 days. Being reminded every day, you know, the world tried to kill him and here he is. And then he ascends into heaven and it's funny what happens because in verse 12 we see what they do. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. We don't really care about any of that stuff. And it says in 13, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Just saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Angels standing there. Why are you standing here looking at heaven? He's coming back. Get off this mountain and go tell somebody. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle of what God has done. And they go back to Jerusalem and they go back to the room and they gather together. Jesus at this point in time has said several times, go make disciples, go make disciples, go make disciples. Hey, no, really, go make disciples. They've heard it probably about as many times as we've heard it. And they've seen things that we, with our physical eyes, won't see. And at the end of that, they go back to a room. And it doesn't say this, but probably lock the doors. And they just huddle up together. And you're like, why is that important? Because the church's tendency is to huddle in a room. We have to see that. Our tendency, what we want to do, what we're comfortable with, the, the level of what we want to accept is to huddle in a room. And they've heard it, and we've heard it. We know what God has said to do, but for some reason there's a disconnect in what God says to do and what we do. And it's not abnormal. It's been happening since Acts Chapter 1, actually before that. Jesus dies, they go to a room. And they pop out every once in a while and they have some little moments of, we had a church yard sale on the front lawn. But the tendency is to huddle in a room. Where fast forward 2,000 years later, we are huddled in a room. And it says they were there. And it says, here's the list, Peter, John, James, blah, 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 right? All the guys, we don't know their names. 
And it says 14, and, and these were continually united in prayer. It's not even that they're in a room just hanging out playing cards. Like they're having church in the room. They're praying in the room. That's amazing. There's power in prayer. I'm not saying what they were doing in the room was wrong or bad. We need the room sometimes. That we need to be reminded of the miracles of God. We need to sit around the table sometimes and say, hey, I just want you to know, man, the most amazing thing happened this week. We, we need Jesus' stories. We need moments of prayer together. We need each other. We need to be together. We need to be united. Church things are not bad things. We will never do what God's called us to do unless sometimes we do come in a room and huddle around. And it says that they weren't the only ones there. They were with the women, the Marys, right? And they were with, here's something amazing, Jesus' brothers who weren't believers before the resurrection of Jesus. One of these brothers is going to become a leader at the church at Jerusalem, and he didn't even believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. It's amazing. God's already doing some things. And it says, um, during these days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and it just lets us know, like, there's about 120 people in these rooms, and he, he talks in the room. There's some things that go down in the room, and they're not necessarily important to the story, but what we need to get is Jesus ascended to heaven. They've seen amazing things. They've heard what God has said to do, yet we're in a room. And it must be a pretty decent room. Because it holds 120 people. That's a pretty decent-sized church, by the way, of uh, believers, not just people, you know, coming because there was a sign in the front. Like, and they were doing some amazing things in the room. There, there was prayer happening in the room. And I bet it was pretty awesome prayer. I would love just to sit in on a disciples' prayer session sometime. It's probably pretty good. I don't know if there was worship. There may have been worship. If there was, it's probably pretty good. Peter's about to speak, so there's something happening there. You know, like there's some things happening, and they're, they're good things, and, and we need those things. But this is the state of the church, again, locked in a room. They've heard what God has said, but they're not connecting it with what they're doing. They're not connecting it with life. Go make disciples. Okay, but we're going to go to the room until we get comfortable with that. That's kind of the picture. And we know they did that for about 10 days because in chapter 2 it says when the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now that's 50 days after the Passover. It's not a day they invented, by the way, in Acts 2. It's a Jewish festival and it's a celebration of the harvest, the wheat harvest. Now what God's about to do is an amazing thing because when Jesus was still alive, he took the disciples out to a city and he looked at the city and he said, Hey, can you see here the fields are white? with the harvest and I need some workers in the field you see it so pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send some workers out into the field and here we are gathered around a holiday that's here to celebrate the harvest and God's about to harvest some things and he's going to do that through some workers See, we're in this news. I'm going to spoil the story for you. God is about to connect what God says with how they live. He's about to move us out of the abstract. I've memorized some Bible verses. Do not think like they probably memorized what Matthew 28 was eventually going to say because Matthew hadn't written it, wrote it down, written it down yet. I'm making up words, it's fine. He's not written it down yet. So he had to remember what Jesus said to get to where he's going to write it down. So in these moments, it's not the problem is he didn't know what Jesus said or understand what Jesus said. There was just a disconnect. And it says the day of Pentecost had arrived and it says they were, look at this, all together in one place, still sitting in a room. 50 days-ish after the resurrection and we're still sitting in a room. Ten days after the ascension, still sitting in a room. Jesus said a bunch of times, go make disciples, we're still in a room. We saw the mighty miracles of God still sitting in a room. 
I just want you to know today, the disconnect for all of us in the room is not probably that we don't know something about what God said to do. We don't need to go to theology school to live how Jesus wants us to live. And we don't need some kind of special training to live how Jesus wants us to live. These guys walked with him for three and a half years, and there's still a disconnect. So so the day of Pentecost had arrived, and when they were all together in one place, insert God... Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. Not came from Peter, not came from James, not came from John, not come from one of the other guys that we don't really know what their names are. A sound like a violent rushing wind came straight out of heaven. We got that queued up back there? Anybody got the rushing wind button on the sound system? I just want you to see, they didn't manufacture what was about to happen in the story. God manufactured what was about to happen in the story. And it says they were all gathered together in one place, but here's the cool thing. Acts 2 somehow left out what they were doing in the place together. We know they were together, and there's power in together. That's why Jesus talks about unity. If you're somebody who fights against unity, you're fighting against the plan of God. I just want you to know that today, and you can repent for that at the end. But here's the amazing thing. They were together, and in their together, God was going to do a thing. A thing they couldn't manufacture by the right worship set. We're not not following God because the worship set's wrong today. Something they couldn't manufacture by a preacher. We're not not following God today because you got the wrong preacher. It's not the wrong teacher, the wrong preacher, the wrong messages, the wrong um, songs. It's not any of that stuff. It's not the wrong lights. It's not the wrong building. If we're not not following God, it's a different thing. And the only person that's going to fix that is God. That's the story of Acts chapter 2. So they didn't even tell us what they were doing in church because if they did, it said they were singing hymn number 642, then we would still today every week be singing hymn number 642, waiting on God to do the exact same thing he did here. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's infinitely creative. He created the universe without our help. And he doesn't need us to help him do a mighty move of God. He just needs us to be receptive to a mighty move of God. So they were all together in one place. And suddenly on God's timetable, he opened up the doors of heaven and poured out the mighty rushing wind. I don't know what it would have been like in the house, but it's probably pretty crazy. We're about to get crazy in the house. And it says, and it filled, listen to this, the whole house where they were staying. It didn't feel like the closet this one guy was praying in or the downstairs where the the really devoted Jesus people were. It filled the whole house. When God does a thing, he's not trying to work in one or two people. He's trying to work in all his people. It says when the wind came, it filled the whole house. And then it goes on and it says, And tongues, don't worry, I'm not going to get too weird here, like flames of fire that were divided... uh, I'm not going to draw that out for you because I don't know what that would have looked like. Kind of weird, tongues, fire, divided, whatever. Um, They appeared to them and they rested on each one of them. They appeared to who? Them. Everybody in the room. 120 people sitting in the room. 120 people heard the wind. Everybody's room in the house was filled. Everybody saw tongues of fire. And it rested on 120 flames, flaming tongues, them. Not him, not Jim, them. When God does a thing, he wants to do a thing in all his people. And when God's really doing a thing, all his people will notice. I'm going to say that again. When God's really doing a thing, all his people will notice. I've been in places where somebody was feeling something and I'm not sure it was God. Yes? Anybody been there? Yeah, because sometimes we're feeling us a lot. We want people to see us and that's not the same thing and 
the cool thing about God, he, he says, yeah, that dude's acting a fool, and I'm not doing that. And you might get some non-perceptive people, but people that know are going to see that. Because when God's doing a thing, he wants to do it in all his people, and all his people will see. And it says in that moment, listen to this, sorry, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Rewind and try to just make you more uncomfortable. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on where you grew up, you're done. And I get that. Because if you grew up like me in the Baptist church, Holy Spirit, we don't ever talk about that guy. Amen. Maybe, maybe there's only three Baptists in here. Maybe, maybe we've got a bunch of ex-church of Godders, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you mad in just a second. But for a minute, let's talk about, for a minute, let's talk about um, just the fact that we get that there's some of us that are just uncomfortable with all this. And you heard me go to Acts 2, and you shut your brain down just right off the bat because you've heard Acts 2, and you've seen people manipulate Acts 2, and you think I'm going to manipulate Acts 2. That's not my intention today. I'll be 100% honest. If you ever hear anything out of me that sounds like a tongue, it's 100% God because there ain't no part of me. I grew up Baptist, right? He'd have to lightning bolt slap me today Um, because I don't... I've just, that's not a gift that I've been given. Now, on the other side of things, it's a biblical idea because the Bible talks about it. So let's just throw that out there. I'm not saying, again, every time it's been used, it's God because some people just want to act a fool and do things and want people to look at them and they make it about them. I get that. You get that. We all get that, right? Okay, but we do have to, you know, say today that the Bible does talk about it. So in some way, it is a thing. I don't have to be comfortable with that thing for it to be a thing. It's just in some way, it's a thing. But I'm not about to manipulate this and and try to get us all doing that today. Because again, I'd have to be lightning bolt slapped to, to, to do that. So don't turn me off. Because what we're talking about today, reminder, is there is a disconnect between what God says and what we do. And the disconnect is not a mighty rushing wind. And it's not fire tongues. That's a one-time thing. I've never read about that or heard about that again. But I would park right here and say that maybe this is the thing. It says they were all Filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the room was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you rewind, like back, right? Jesus in the room, resurrection day, popped up to the disciples, and it says he did what? He breathed on them. And they did what? They received the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, by the way, that for everybody that knows Jesus, we have. That's Bible. I don't think we got to do some thing to make that happen. We just get the Holy Spirit when we get Jesus. Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not afraid of the Holy Spirit. And we should not, as the church, be afraid of the Holy Spirit. In this moment, it says that everybody in the room was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not some people. Not the preacher or the song leader or the crazy church lady. You know crazy church lady. That's why some of you laughed. (laughs) But everybody. Everybody in the room 
was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for some people, it's for saved people. And all 120 of these people knew Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit showed up in this moment in a dramatic way, he filled the tanks of all the people. And it says in that moment, something crazy happened. They began to speak in, listen to this, different languages. As the Spirit gave them ability for speech. God is about to do a miraculous thing in this moment. And then we see verse 5 happens. Now verse 5 is weird because verse 5 interrupts the church service. They're all gathered in a room. The Holy Spirit's doing some amazing things. I want the writer to give me about four more verses of that so I can see exactly how all that happens. But he doesn't. He puts verse 5 in here right now. And he says, There were Jews living in Jerusalem. Strong theological statement. Could have explained the Trinity, but we needed this. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. No kidding. Thank you for that. I was unaware who lived in Jerusalem. I did not know. Man, isn't that funny? For real? Like, it seems so out of place. I love when you're reading the Bible and you get to somewhere and you're like, why in the world did you write that in there? And it happens a lot for me. But what he's doing here, the writer is reminding us that, man, there's other stuff happening on the planet today than what's happening in this room. And God may be doing some amazing things in this space, but outside of this space, there are people. And this church service is like anybody, I want a ticket to this. Right? Like if we could just go down to the Coliseum today and do Acts 2 in the way that God did it here, I want a ticket to that. I, I, I want to do more than just read about This sounds amazing to me. And I know I'd be freaked out. This would be uncomfortable ground for me. I'm a semi-Baptist, right? This would be so weird for me. And I think anytime God does something, it makes us afraid. It's okay to have a healthy fear of God. We shouldn't run from God like Adam, but, man, there's, there's something to be said for, hey, he's big and powerful, and he can do whatever he wants. He also loves me, and he's on my side, but he's big and powerful, and he can do whatever he wants. And it's going to be for my good, but it doesn't mean it's going to be good. And in this moment, the writer's saying, you know, it's not just about you guys. Cool stuff's happening. You guys are gathered up in a room. Wind's coming in the thing. Tongues are falling down. This is the best church gathering you've ever been to. But reminder, there are people out there. Man, we could be blowing it up in here every week. People coming down and praying, raised hands, jumping up and down, shouting. But if we ever forget that there are people outside these walls, who cares? So he throws in here in verse 5, Strong theological statement today, life-changing, actually, statement. I really do mean this. There are Jews in Jerusalem. And what he's saying is, these people don't have your faith. I 
It says these men, they, they were devout men. They really believed what they believed. But at this point in time, to be a Jew is to not be in heaven because God has sent his son. And they were devout to religion, not Jesus Christ. Who says, I am the only way. He says, devout men from every nation under heaven. Man, when you read that, verse 4 is starting to come into context. And it says, when the sound occurred, this is going all the way back to the very first verse, right? The sound of the mighty rushing wind. They're in the church and they're unaware God is already moving outside the church. I'm going to rewind. They're in the church and they are unaware God is already moving outside the church. So caught up in what God's doing in here, we forget God is not limited to the room today. And he says, when the sound occurred, the multitude, that's a lot of people, by the way, came together and they were confused. Here's why. Because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language, tongues. And it says in seven, they were astounded. That's a big word, meaning their mind was blown. And amazed, a little word meaning their mind was blown. Saying, look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Everybody I hear speaking right now is speaking a language that they don't know, is what he's saying. Everybody standing here is a Galilean. Now, why is that important? Because God is obviously doing a thing, and nobody in the way is confused about that. Because these men are doing something without the power of God, they have no ability to do. Now, there's something that happens in between the lines in these verses. Because unless they had rented out the Colosseum, they have done something about this room problem. The room already had 120 people in it. I don't know what it would look like to have a room that would fit at least 3,000, but significantly more people than that. Because 3,000 people get saved. Fast forward. But in this moment when the Holy Spirit came, it's done a thing and it's activated the church to do a thing. They have heard the wind and maybe the wind knocked the roof off. We don't get that. But they've heard the wind and they've seen the fire and they've began doing what God has asked them to do because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the moment they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they left the room and these people have been assembled, not because somebody invited them to the room today, but because God has put them in the path today. And in that moment, there's this intersect that happens and they hear these people from all nations all over the planet who don't believe in Jesus. They hear the gospel in their own language and they're not amazed about the gospel at this moment. They're amazed about what God is doing through these Galileans at the moment. And it says, how is it, these are the people speaking, that we hear each of us in our own native language, the, the language they best would understand. And then it goes down the list. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those who live in Mesopotamia. That's an area, by the way, not just one place. In Judea, in Cappadocia, in Pontus, and in Asia. A lot of these aren't even specific tribes of people. They're people groups. And it says, in Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages, listen to this, the magnificent acts of God. I don't, I don't even know how many languages were listed there, I didn't count did you? 
And then even if we did, like Asia is a place. And this people might not speak the same as this people. And there's different dialects and different things. But what I know is there were 120 people there who were speaking languages that 120 people at least could hear and understand. Because God speaks to people where they are. And I love what it says they were speaking because it doesn't say they started running down the Roman road, does it? Anybody's translation say that? Mine doesn't say that. So maybe this heathen Holman Bible doesn't say the right thing. But I just want you to know, like, that's not what it says in mine. And it doesn't say that they stood there and they started explaining the finer points of the Trinity, right? What does it say that they were hearing? They were hearing stories of the magnificent acts of God. See, we want to make it complicated. But in 50 days, although they were praying and preaching and all that stuff in the room, they didn't have time to learn, you know, all the languages of the whole world. And they didn't have time probably to learn, like, all the greatest theological lessons on the planet and to hash out the Trinity, although that'd be cool if we would just find that letter somewhere. Like, they didn't, they didn't have time to do all that, but they did know a thing. And what they knew is that God had done magnificent things in their life. So when they stood, they didn't come to to these lost people, these people that didn't know Jesus, and try to have an argument with them, did they? Oh, but if you would just turn to this page. I'm going to let you in on a secret today. The reason there are lost people is not because you haven't showed up to explain the Roman road to them yet. Because they don't believe the word of God. Most of them is the word of God. So it's just a book like any other book. And if somebody wants to have a theological argument with you, they probably just aren't ready to hear the gospel. If they want to divert to... Let me know about the Trinity, like the woman at the well did. You can just blow that conversation off. Because you don't have to explain that. Because at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for knowing all that. And it's good to dive into it. It's good to try to figure out, like God says to love us with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, like we do want to know as much as we can know. But the best kept secret in the church today is not that we're not equipped enough to share the gospel. It's we've somehow believed that sharing the gospel means I've got to be able to explain the whole Bible and all the deep mysteries of God and I've got to learn all the definitions and all the church words. And when in Acts 2, what we see is We didn't get into any of that stuff. We just started talking about what God was doing. In a way people could understand. So as they heard all these people speaking the magnificent acts of God, and they were, listen to this, all astounded and perplexed or confused Saying to one another, what could this be? What is going on here? But some sneered and said, they're full of wine. It goes through all these things. Peter stood up and he basically started to preach at that moment. Tells them it's not wine, it's the Holy Spirit. Here's some scripture for that. tells them about the story of Jesus. And at the end of that in 37, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the arrest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Peter didn't say, hey, let's all pray the sinner's prayer. These people said, hey, I need this Jesus you're talking about. What do I need to do about it? And we fast forward a little bit more, and it says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. 
day one of the church, it exploded. It went from 120 people to 3,120 people. And not all people believed, and not all people were like, man, that, that's amazing. Tell me what to do. But a lot of people did. And what's amazing to me about that is we didn't like start that with let me get you some theology. We started that with stories about what God is doing in our lives. See, I think there's a disconnect in us for two reasons. One, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But two, somewhere along the line, we have bought into the lie that it's about what we know and what we can do and what we can manufacture. But when the Holy Spirit moved on these people, you know what Peter didn't say? You know, God, I just really feel like I could be more equipped for this, so... I'm going I'm to go to seminary and I'm going to come back in four years and I'm going to win the world to Jesus. James didn't say, you know what? Like, I'm, just, I'm, not really, I'm not really like a talker. I'm not really comfortable with any of that. So I just, when, when Peter gets out of seminary, I'll, I'll just give some money to Peter and Peter can go missionary some people. See, the problem today is that we're not, is not that we're not equipped. I have a picture. Do we have that picture? I promise it'll tie in. It's going to look silly if it's up there. Picture. Picture. It's coming. Yeah. That's an amazing looking car. I'm not a car person, so I'm not going to just run down some stats of cars for you because I, I just know where to put gas in a car. Um. I don't even know that I could figure out where to put gas in that car. It's in the door. See, I'd be parked somewhere. That's a Lamborghini. I just Googled last night, um, fastest stock car available. And it's a Lamborghini, some fancy name. And this car goes max 217 miles an hour. I wouldn't drive that fast. but that's what it'll do. And it'll actually, in, a, in about, um, I think it's three seconds, go from zero to 95. So if you're a speed person, that's awesome. This car is equipped to do like anything you would ever need it to do. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. But you know what? This car would be useless today if you couldn't figure out where to put the gas, wouldn't it? doesn't matter how equipped a vehicle is, if there's no gas in the tank, vehicles don't go. And I just want to say to you today, you may theologically be a Lamborghini. You're ready just to argue the heavens down. And if that's true, awesome. But man, if there's no gas in the tank, you just got a big mouth. And theologically today, you may be the old beat-up rusty truck that is sitting in my driveway. But man, if that truck had gas in the tank and that Lamborghini didn't, that truck would smoke that Lamborghini, wouldn't it? Rust and all. The disconnect between what God says to do in our lives is not we need to fill that gap with more knowledge and theology. We need to bridge that gap with more Bible studies. The gap is a lot of us, our tank is empty. And maybe when Jesus walked in the room and saved us, he breathed on us and we received. 
of the Holy Spirit, but man, we've just not stoked that fire. And we're running on fumes today, barely making it into the locked room that is church. And what we need is just a be filled today. God, why can I not do what you've called me to do? Because the power isn't in the the words. The power is in the spirit that activates the words. God, why, why can I not get up out of this mess that I'm in? Because the power is not just in reading a book. The power is in the spirit of God working in our life. And the Holy Spirit is the thing that activates us into action. So many of us, we've been like, I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. I don't want the Holy Spirit. I just would just prefer just to, let's just talk about Jesus. I'm comfortable with Jesus. And like every once in a while, I'll just throw the Father in there. But if there's a reason that Jesus said, you know, it's better if I go away. Because when I go, there's a comforter that's coming. And until today we say, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit. God, I want you to pour out in me your spirit. We're never going to walk in what Jesus has called us to. So for those of us this morning that, man, we know we're just running on fumes. We know that it's everything we got just to like get up out of bed and get to the building today. The fix today is not that message coming down the pipe. The fix today is the power of God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. I've received it, but I need to be filled with it.